We're in our series, the Journey series, and uh, the Journey series has a booklet that goes along with it. We've made it all the way to part two uh, of the Journey series, and as I told you last week, I'm a little frustrated there's no page numbers because I can't really get you to the certain page. But as we went into this conversation on the Journey, um, part two is all about this concept, the quote from the last part of that, that says, everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of of your relationship with God. So in other words, if my relationship with God is not priority in my life, I have nothing to give anyone else. I mean, I'll do things for people. There are people in the world that do all kinds of good things, but it'll be hit or miss good things. They'll be selfishly motivated. I'll probably hit some burnout because if it's not out of the overflow of my seeking after Him, then it's not going to go well for me in the end. Okay, and so this idea of intimacy with God is the first part of this. And that's what we talked about in the the first week. So in part two, don't be confused, there's a series within a series. So we're in part two, and we told I told you we were going to be here for three weeks. The first part was opening the conversation. And opening the conversation was about prayer. It's about communicating with God. If we are not communicating with God, we are not in relationship with God. We talk about prayer, we all say, oh yeah, prayer is important, but what value is prayer, what value have I placed on prayer in my life? Am I constant in prayer? It's not just about a daily prayer time, but it's about recognizing that I need to be constantly in prayer. I need to be in constant communion with the Father. I need to learn to hear His voice in my quiet time so that I recognize His voice in the world. Because here's the thing, the enemy quotes Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, the devil knows this book well, and he can twist it in a way to make it, and so if you're not in the the quiet time learning to hear the right voice, you can easily be deceived. We're warned throughout the New Testament, watch out, in the last days, people are going to be deceived. Oh, not me, not me, I'm not going to be deceived. If you are not daily learning to hear the Father's voice, you run the risk of being deceived. Because the other voices sound a lot like the Father's voice. Okay? Because they're going to put Scripture references with it, but they're going to take it out of context. They're going to selfishly motivate it. They're going to let you do what you want to do, all the while serving God. I want to serve a God that is, I've made in my own image. I, all I need is what I need. All I want is you know, what I need. God, I want you as long as you give me what I want. And that's the the message that's being permeated throughout our culture today. It's all about what you want. You know, be true to who you are. (laughs) No, honey, who I am is sinful and broken. I want to be true to who he's made me. Amen. So that's what we do. And so we've got to be in that place of intimacy. And once we're in that place of intimacy, he brings us into a place of intimacy with others. At Restoration Church, we illustrate this with tables. And we've used this this chart of these tables that we sit at. Um, The idea that it's all about relationships is something we believe fully. It's about my relationship with God. It's about becoming one with Him. It's about learning to sit at that table of intimacy with Him. Even in the presence of my enemies, I must sit at the table of intimacy with the Father. If I don't, when I am in the presence of my enemies, they will get a reaction from my flesh and not a kingdom reaction from my spirit. 
If I sit at the table of intimacy, I know who I am. I know that He fights for me. I know that I don't have to defend myself against whatever accusation or whatever thing is coming at me. I can sit there and respond the way Jesus did. In the face of crucifixion, when Pilate told Jesus, don't you know I have power to kill you? Jesus, sitting at the table of intimacy, said, you have no power over me were it not given to you from above. I don't have to fight. I don't have to defend. I trust myself fully to the Father. That's what comes from living at the table of intimacy. When we sit there, then we come into communion with the body of Christ. This American idea that I can serve Jesus, but I don't need a commitment to the body of Christ is not biblical. Period. It's just not. There is no one in the body of Christ that was a follower of Christ that was not in community with the body of Christ. Now I know over the years we have made a mess of things in the church world and we have put all kinds of traditions and extra things on the scripture and tried to make people feel guilty to do. I'm not talking about whatever guilt or craziness that you might have experienced at some point in your life. But do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. We are called to sit at the table of community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And last week, we looked at what it is to bear with one another, to sit, as Ephesians chapter 4 says, to live with humility and gentleness and patience, to endure with one another through difficulty, to stay at that table. I gave you the, the unity circle last week. If you missed it, I don't have time to review it all, but if you want to throw the unity circle up on the screen... Um, that unity circle, if you want to look back at last week, this is a great way to picture how to stay in unity with the body of Christ. Everything that matters most is in the center. Jesus and the scripture, center. Everything else we do not die for. The doctrines that we believe, the core values that we may have as a body of Christ, those are in the next circle. And we debate those things. And one church says this about baptism, and one church says this about baptism, and one church says this about the Holy Spirit, and one church says this about the Holy Spirit, one says this about end times, and one says this about end times. And we debate those things, but we never split over those things. We may not attend the same church body, but all throughout this community, we are connected to the body of Christ for everyone that puts Jesus and the Scripture in the center of that circle. Like, that's who we are at Restoration Church. So we celebrate other churches, we help other churches, we minister with other churches, and we want to value that table. We want to be constant at that table. That means when I show up here for a worship service, it's not just get in and out as fast as I can, it's how can I intentionally connect with the people in this room? How can I find out who they are so that I can stay connected with them when I leave this room? How can I minister to them throughout the week? How can I say, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, that single mom might need a babysitter this week. I should send her a text message and say, if you need a babysitter this week, you call me. Pastor Tom, where is that in the Bible? It's all over the Bible. We just don't believe it and live it. We have made this a thing where we come in, we get entertained, we get our tank filled up, and then we go out. And that's not what this is about at all. It's about a community that comes together to celebrate what God has done Monday through Saturday. This is a celebration service. And if we come in and we're like, oh, you're all I need, you're all I want. I mean, if anybody else walks in, they're not going to hang around. 
But if they see us being like, oh, Jesus, you're all I want. I want to want you more. Man, I celebrate what you did this week in my life. That people are like, I want that. I need that in my life. The grumpiness that many Christians portray in the world, in the workplace, and on social media isn't going to bring anybody into the kingdom. Can I tell you, the world is not going to hell in a handbasket. The world is being renewed day by day because there is a, a, a one that stands above it all that has redeemed and restored and he is coming back for a bride that is watching and ready. And now you can watch all of the news you want and you can focus on the hell in a handbasket part or you can just be a conduit of the kingdom of God everywhere you go and you can let the kingdom flow everywhere you are. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. So shine. Don't put your lamp in the, under a bushel, under a, a cover, if you will. Let it shine. Praise God, I need to keep moving. But the enemy seeks to isolate and divide. There are far too many in the body of Christ that are, have chosen isolation. They've chosen division. We're blaming others. We're ignoring our own responsibility. We focus on the flaws of others. Can I tell you, if you are looking for a pastor who has no flaws, find another church. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've got them. And you don't have to hang around long to see them. And if you want a board that has no flaws, I'll just save you the time. Find another church. If you want a people who have no flaws, good luck. Because we are flawed individuals. We don't make excuses for those flaws. We bring those flaws to the cross and we daily try to work those things out in our lives. But here's the promise. We're going to let you down. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail you. We're going to do it differently than you. But th those things aren't in the center. And so we can stay united as a body of Christ and we can work those things out. Don't fall prey to the lies of the enemy. So today we're going to finish part three of this series within a series. It's called Love Never Fails. Love Never Fails. And we have to remember the mercy and grace that we have received from God. In the book of Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 8, but all through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people as they're going into the promised land, don't forget, when you get in the promised land and you start to be prospered and you start to bring in crops and God blesses you in that land, do not forget that it's not because of you that you're in that land. It's because of Him. It is not your own righteousness. It's not your own goodness. It's Him. He is the reason you're in that land. Do not forget that. They forgot that. Um, they never remembered that. We face the same temptation. The longer you serve God, the temptation to start thinking, my righteousness, my goodness. And now, we, we don't get up and we don't testify to that. I just want to testify today that I am very righteous. <laughs> uh, I have not sinned all week long. I'm, we don't testify like that, but we look down on other people. Well, I can't believe that person acted that way. I can't believe they did. Because their sins are showing up in places that aren't our sins. And so it's easy to look down on them and think, I'm here because of my righteousness, not because of the mercy and grace I've received from God. Because I'm going to tell you, there's not one of us in this room that the Holy Spirit has put a check mark beside your name and said it's all done. That one, leave them alone. It's finished. The work is totally finished in their life. I mean, the work is finished in our lives because of what Christ has done. But there are parts of our lives that we're still working out. There are days we're grumpy. There are ways, days we're short. Gossip and slander, man, that, if the body of Christ would just focus on 
refusing to actually speak evil of other people, I think we'd change the world. I mean, but we just so easily think it's okay to just to mock people for the, the, the views they have on homosexuality and gender. I didn't say their views are correct. But if you think mocking them is the way to go, you have not read this book. Nowhere are we taught to mock our enemies. We're told to bless them. We're told to love them. We're not told to pretend that what they believe is true, but you have to lead people sometimes to a place of truth. You speak the truth in love. Not, I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you, but I'm going to love you so that I can speak the truth to you. Because if you love them, you open the door to hear the truth. We do this all the time. I mean, we, ministries that serve the homeless and the poor, they meet the felt needs of those people. They show value and honor to them to open the heart so they can share truth. They don't just walk up to a homeless person and say, hey, I'd like to tell you about the love of Jesus. They get them a meal, they sit them down, and then they tell them why they're doing that. And sometimes it doesn't happen on meal one. Sometimes you got to do it over and over. And praise God for those that feel called to the inner cities, that feel called to these places, that run these types of ministries, but that doesn't neglect our responsibility to sit at the table with people on the outside and help them know the love of God. Jesus came to connect with those who were lost and to show them the love of God. I'm going to tell you, Jesus never broke the law. He broke their misinterpretations of the law. For the Jewish people, Jesus sat at tables. Remember, all throughout the scripture, they're like, why is he eating with them? Why is he doing that? That's unclean. There is nothing in the Old Testament law that would have made that unclean. But what happened was, in order to continue to have kosher laws, to eat right, to make sure they didn't defile themselves according to the law, they put parameters around that. So what they were saying was, it's easier to only eat with certain people just to be sure you don't break the law. But Jesus comes along to show them, you can keep the law, and you can sit with people that aren't keeping the law, and you can help them see their need for coming into the kingdom, and you can actually show the value and honor by sitting at that table with them, and you can bring them into the kingdom. For us in this world today, it's those that we label on the outside, the ones that are too far gone the ones that maybe have different belief systems that we think are, you know, against the Word of God. And they're right, their belief systems are against the Word of God. But you can sit at the table with them, you can show value to them, you can honor them, you can love them, and yet not validate their belief systems. It's hard. You're going to get accused from the church of watering down the gospel. You're going to get accused by the world for not being liberal enough in your thinking. But you can sit at that table of connection with people in the body of Christ, knowing that I'm sitting here because I want to connect with you, because I want to bring you to the kingdom. And I don't know how that's going to happen, but I want to be a conduit in your life, and the Holy Spirit's going to do the work. It's not my job to convince anybody to change their belief systems. In fact, I can't. I can't even convince myself to change my belief systems. But I want to be a conduit in the life of the people around me so that God can help change their belief systems by being in relationship with me. 
That's what we believe at Restoration Church. You, uh, Jesus, when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you're the light of the world. Like, that's what we think he meant. Like, you should be showing people the way. But you can't show them the way from a distance, shouting it on your social media platform. You have to get up close. You have to sit at a table. And the table, by the way, is not a literal table. It's a lifestyle that says, I'm going to get close. I'm going to get close enough that I'm going to show you value. I'm going to show you honor. I'm going to show you love. And then I'm going to hopefully bring you into the kingdom as a conduit of God's love. So in Luke chapter 19, we get a picture of the mission of Jesus. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is meeting Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, so he's a liberal. Yep, let's just say it. I mean, that's what he was. Culturally, he was a sellout. He's Jewish, but he has given into the Roman Empire. It's all about greed, and he's a corrupt tax collector, so that's even worse. But Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. No rabbi has ever invited Zacchaeus to a table. No Jew who is in right standing with God, right standing, has ever invited Zacchaeus to their house. And here comes Jesus. And of course, the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious symbol. Sinner, they grumbled. Be careful of the grumblers and the fault finders. They're always going to be there. Don't compromise face. Don't tell people that what they're doing is not sin if the Bible calls it sin. But don't be afraid to be in their life. And there will always be people that say, do you know who that is? Say, yeah, they're just like me. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. So while people are grumbling, meanwhile, somebody's getting saved. Yeah, but are you, that's what gospel did they accept? Like these, these are the things that literally the church world is saying today. People are, are committing their lives to Christ, but because they didn't get instantly cleaned up, because the baptism tank didn't take every rough edge off their life, yeah, what gospel did they really respond to? As if the one sitting there saying that has everything worked out in their own life. Yeah. We're not saying, we're not justifying the behavior of the one that just got out of the tank, but neither will we condemn them. This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Here it is. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. How much of our week is spent on that? Because if you learn to sit at the table of intimacy, you're going to catch the Father's heart for the lost. I'm not going to try to guilt you into this because that doesn't work well. Um, you'll do it for a little bit, but then once the feeling is gone then I have to re-guilt you all over again. Sit at the table of intimacy until your heart breaks for the lost. Until you can no longer stay quiet. Until when you see them, your heart just breaks over them. Not, you don't mock their belief systems, you break over their belief systems. And you show them the love of Christ in a way that brings them into an encounter with the God of the universe that can change their lives. 
In John chapter 3, Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The church needs to remember this. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. He came to offer them salvation. It is good news. And sometimes we forget where we came from and where we, maybe we still are in our sanctification process. And we look down on people and think, oh, they're, they're hopelessly lost. And yet Jesus might look at them and say, they're on the edge of salvation. Like, I know that their exterior looks really rough, but man, their heart is so close. If you would just sit with them, if you would just value them, if you would just love on them, man, they are so close. But we get so hung up on the stuff in that outer circle. Remember we talked last week about the outer circle? Religious people try to go from the outside in. Everybody has to be the same in that outer circle. I mean, we can't believe that Jesus is at work in someone's life whose outer circle is different than mine. Man, we have got to be people led by the Spirit that recognize when someone has put faith in Christ, they've put faith in Christ, and He is going to clean them up circle by circle. Praise God, Pastor Tom, that is a good word. Thank you for preaching it to us, and we will do our best this week to sit at the table of intimacy so God can change our hearts. Hallelujah. Right before this, because by the way, Notice that they're condemned not because of their sin. God is no longer counting sin against anyone. What? Yeah. But if you reject Jesus, then you're guilty. If you accept Jesus, you're not guilty. It's not righteous living that declares you righteous. It's faith in Jesus that makes you righteous. Yeah, I know, that's a whole can of worms. But John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You know, the world that we basically spend so much time grumbling about. He so loved them that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I don't have to define love for you today because the scripture defines it for you. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Oh, yep, Pastor Tom, brothers and sisters doesn't say anything about the world. For God so loved the world. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Love defined in the scripture is laying down our lives for others. And so the question is ultimately, are we willing to give our lives for sinners? Are we willing to spend our lives on behalf of sinners? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for sinners? Are we willing to surrender our preferences and our opinions for sinners? Do I always have to be right or can I sit at the table with a sinner and just keep my mouth shut until the Holy Spirit prompts me on what to say, how to say it, and when to say it? Or do I need to lean on my own understanding and say, well, it's pretty clear, Pastor Tom. It says right there that that's a sin, so I need to tell them. It also says right there that if you see your brother and sister in need and you have the ability to meet that need and you don't meet that need, you don't love. We forget that one. But man, we're quick to speak every time we see sin. But when we see a need that we have the ability to meet, well, you know, 
I wouldn't be able to have cable TV if I did that. You're right. You wouldn't be able to have cable TV. The Apostle Paul, improbably, I'm sorry if it seems like I'm a little short today. I'm, I'm not short. You're here because you want this, and uh, I'm frustrated by my own life more than anything because not, this is not okay in my life yet. Um, and so this is why in the middle of a week when I'm preparing a sermon like this, I'm like, God, I want to want you more because this just isn't okay. Like the apathy that I feel towards the people around me, that's not good. And so I need to want you more because if I want you more, then I'm going to want what you want and you want your kids. I mean, you, if you're a parent, do you know what it's like when somebody values your kids? I mean, when somebody just stops and talks to them or gives them something or just says, hey, I was somewhere and I thought of you and I bought you this. Or just prophesies over them or speaks a blessing over them. I mean, isn't, doesn't that make you feel good as a parent? Could you know your kids don't deserve that? Come on. I mean, we just talked about this last night. The, our kids at home are terrors. But when they're with other people, people are like, oh, your kids are so sweet. No, they're not. You should see them at home. But they act like totally different people when they're out there. But don't you love it when people value your kids? Think of that this week when you're out there and you encounter one of his kids. How he's going to feel when you value and honor them. When you stop and you listen to them. And in the middle of the Apostle Paul talking about the, the manifestations of the Spirit, he's talking about knowledge and spiritual insight and power and which group is right and which group is wrong and which one's doing it better and how he's doing all of this in 1 Corinthians 12 and 4, through, through 14. But right in the middle is the chapter that we reserve just for weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, which ought to really be the hallmark chapter of our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom, listen to this, all mysteries, and be right, accurate. I mean, because there's people out there claiming they have all the mysteries, but then when they're wrong, they're like, well, I wasn't really wrong. Humility. All knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, I mean, someone obviously in South Dakota's history had faith to move mountains. Oh, that was funnier than you made it. <laughs> but if I don't have love, listen to this, I am nothing. See, Paul's not saying don't go after the gifts of the Spirit because he's going to come back in chapter 14 and say, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Go after prophecy. Go after tongues. Go after healings. Like, go after these things. But you have got to keep the context of love in there. Because you can get all of that and, and accomplish nothing. If I give, verse 3, all I possess to the poor. <laughs> get this. If I gave everything I possess to the poor and lived on the street, and if I gave my body to hardship so that I can boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. I don't care if we tithe. I don't care if we give to missions. I don't, if I don't have love. So how do I know if I have love? Well, here you go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. 
it is not proud. It doesn't try to one-up someone in the conversation. It actually just listens. You know, often we're in conversations with people and we're listening to their story, already trying to come up with what story we're going to give to top it, rather than just listening for their story. And, Holy Spirit, what are they communicating in this story? How could this give me a connection into their heart? What could I say to bless them in this moment? If that was our thought process, we'd change the world. It does not dishonor others, even those we disagree with. That's a footnote, by the way. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Oh, this is why I have children, to remind me that when I drive down the streets, I am easily angered. And those of you that are laughing, you are too. It keeps... No record of wrongs. How often do when we come up to a person do we just mentally go through the list of all the ways they've wronged us? And here's the thing about relationships. See, I walk up to someone and maybe they don't say hi to me or they're just short with me and then they walk away. I can get offended by that. Man, they... they call themselves a Christian. They didn't even say hi to me. They didn't really like talk to me. They didn't even ask me how I'm doing. I personalize it, you know, like it's all about me. But sometimes when someone walks up to you and they're short with you or they don't say hi to you or they seem like they have something on their mind, maybe they do. And rather than take offense or personalize it, why don't we say, God, what do I need to do to carry their burden? Man, they seem, they seem like they're carrying something today. I'm Holy Spirit, help them to carry it. If there's a way I can help, put it in my mind so I can reach out to them. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the body of Christ be totally different if we all thought like that? Maybe you already think like that, but I'm just telling you what the Lord's saying to me today. So if it fits for you, praise God, take it, run with it. If not, maybe you need to teach me how to live like you. It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices when the truth wins out. See, it doesn't sit at the table with someone who says, hey, this is the lifestyle I've chosen. It contradicts Scripture, but I think God's okay with it. It's not like, oh, praise God, I believe that that's truth. It, it doesn't, because it's not truth. But it stays at the table because it knows I want to get them to truth. How do we get there? And, I mean, God didn't deal with all of my sin. I mean, he's still dealing with stuff that's obviously been there for like 40 years. And it's like, why are we just getting to this now? Like, it's been there all those years. And yet, I was fully in the kingdom with all of that stuff there. Because I was on journey with him. Praise God. So, love does not delight with evil, but it rejoices with truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. That one is hopeless. No? It always hopes. It always protects. It doesn't gossip or slander about what, someone, what so-and-so did to you because it protects so-and-so. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean it hides it from God. It protects that person and helps them find healing and wholeness and restoration. That's what it does. Look at verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in, excuse me, in part disappears. Now I'll just pause for a second because there are those that say completeness is this book. So prophecies have ceased. We don't prophesy today. We don't speak in tongues today because completeness is the Bible. It's the canon of Scripture. Um, I disagree with that because knowledge hasn't passed away. And so if that were to be the case, then all three of those things would have passed away, and that hasn't passed away. So not two of the three have passed away. Plus, as much as this book is great and it's the infallible Word of God, this is not the completeness. How do I know that? Because none of us know fully yet. None of us have seen face-to-face yet. And yet all of us today have different interpretations of how to live this book out today. It is not the completeness. The completeness is still coming. There will not be prophecies when Jesus reigns on earth physically again. That will be the completeness. We will see face to face. We will know fully and we will be fully known in that moment where the Apostle Paul is talking. But he's saying what you guys are searching after right here. You're going after these things and they're good. But don't miss this because love will be for eternity. Love never fails. When I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. There's a quote that I want to share with you from Addison Bevere. He's just one of my favorite authors. And he, as I was reading over the last month, uh, a, a book about prayer, actually it didn't even fit with what I was reading, but he referenced 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and it speaks so well to what I'm sharing with you today. So here are his words. We prefer to think of ourselves as people who know and prophesy in full, especially in political and religious matters. But maybe the only way to experience the transcendent beauty of 1 Corinthians 13, 1-8 is to believe verse 9. Maybe the humility and grace that come with believing that we know in part opens us to the realities of love and unity. Paul goes on to say that only squabbling children believe that they know in full. Did you catch that? Only squabbling children believe they know in full. As adults, we must give up childish things, knowing that we see in a mirror dimly. In other words, we don't see ourselves, the situation, or the other person clearly. Let's say that again. Every conflict you have with another human being, I promise you, You do not see yourself, the situation, or the other person clearly. None of us do. Which is why we pray, dear God, give us eyes to see what's going on here. Spirit of truth, guide us into all truth. Help us rest in the assurance that one day we will know fully as we are fully known. In the meantime, teach us the ways of heaven that we may be people of faith hope, and love. Souls secure in our partial understanding, knowing that we rest in the arms of truth. See, truth isn't stuff up here. Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. And I can rest in Him even while I'm working out all of this stuff I know in part. 
That's how we sit at the table with people out there. We don't sit there to just connect with them. We don't sit there just to value them. We certainly don't sit there to validate the viewpoints they have that are contrary to Scripture. But we sit there to connect with them, to value them, to love them, so that the, as a conduit of the kingdom of heaven, because I've sat at the table of intimacy, they can encounter the God who transforms their lives. I read a book years ago called The War of Loves. It's the story of a man who, um, he's a homosexual man that has homosexual tendencies, believes that that's going to be the rest of his life, and he, de- he never acts on them. Because he knows, as a follower of Christ, he can't act on them. And he has come into faith and he ministers to people all over the world. But his book was his story. His story of frustration with the church. And the moment that he first encountered God was in a bar, having drinks with a fellow believer. He wasn't a believer at the time. She was. And she was telling her story, and then she just ministered one, one part of the conversation to him. It wasn't about his homosexuality, it was about his identity. And he talks about how the love of God just permeated that space, and he just began to weep. And now, he didn't just totally the next day say, oh yes, I reject homosexuality, it's a sin. But it, was, it started a journey and a process to where he is today. And for some of you, you're still struggling with the fact that they were having drinks in a bar. Yeah. I, I forget who the pastor was that shared a sermon one time, and he swore in the middle of it. Um, Tony Campolo, probably, because he, you know, likes to push it so far. And he just kept going on with his sermon. And he stopped and he said, I've just shared some very important truths with you and some of you are still back on that S word all the way back there and you haven't been able to wrap your mind around what anything else I've said. Now, I'm not saying we should start swearing from the pulpit. I mean, but we make this ground so sacred. And when we get out in the world and we're having conversations with people, every F-bomb, we're just like, we can't get past it. Dear God, help us to just stop hearing it. So that we can connect with people at that table and don't address every little thing in their lives, but we listen for what you want to address. Don't, don't hear me, please, please, please. Don't condone behavior that this book calls sin. Don't. Don't validate that. But neither do you have to jump all over it at the first sit. Come to identity. Come to the love of the Father. Bring them into relationship with God. Develop a relationship with them where they read the Scripture and let the Holy Spirit do His work because He will do it far better than any of us. Verse 12 of this chapter, this is how it ends. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The kingdom of God advances at the intersection of relationships. 
The kingdom of God advances at the intersection of relationships. Our relationship at the table of intimacy. Finding a way to stay at that table. My quiet time, but constantly at the table, listening. What does the Father want to do? What does the Father want to say? What's the Father doing right now? What's on his heart? What's, his, what's in his heart for that person I'm talking to? What's in his heart for me right now? What's in his heart? Learning to hear his voice and respond to him. That brings us into the intersection of human relationships. And when I sit at the table of intimacy, I speak value, I speak life, I speak blessing, I speak hope. And that doesn't mean I don't confront sin. I do. I do it with gentleness and in humility, as the scripture teaches. If someone is caught in sin, restore them gently. Speak the truth in love. The intersection of those relationships. Now here's the thing, we need the body of Christ because we're not going to get the strength we need from human relationships out there. We need that from the body of Christ. So I need to be constant at that table even while I'm constant at the table of connection. All three of those tables, all the time. How do I sit at them? And that's the question that I want you to ponder as we go through this week. Two things. One, how do I value each of these tables? How am I valuing the table of intimacy? If you're not having a regular quiet time, you don't value the table of intimacy. Start there. Okay, start there. It doesn't have to be long. It can be two minutes. Two minutes. Start somewhere. Put value on it every day. But how can I be constant at the table of intimacy? Value and constancy. The table of communion with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. How can I value my place at Restoration Church? How can I value my place in the greater body of Christ in the Huron community? How can I be constant at that table and then how can I value the table of connection people I work with neighbors the ones that frustrate me can I tell you the ones that frustrate you the most put a target on them begin to pray Father give me your heart for them I mean because if they're going to frustrate you the most you might as well deal with it and the only way that they're not going to they're going to stop frustrating you is if God changes your heart towards them I mean, because that's probably how he wants them to change. And that's why he's placed you in their lives. How do I value it and how do I stay connected to it? Those are the three things that we've talked about. You won't find all of that in the book. You can go back over the sermons that we've talked about. But uh, that's my prayer for us today. And so as we close the service this morning, I'm going to ask you if you want, to put out your hands in a receiving posture. We do this a lot at Restoration Church because we believe God wants to do things in our lives and this is just a sign that says, God, I want you to do it in my life. And so Holy Spirit, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that you have extended to us in this room, to us that are watching online. God, I pray for any that are here today listening to my voice that are watching this video. God, I pray that they would have an encounter with you that would bring them into relationship with you, either for the first time or bring them back into a greater relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray help us 
to value this week the table of intimacy. Help us to know how to be constant at that table as we go through this week, knowing who we are in you, knowing our identity, sitting at that table even in the presence of our enemies so that when our lives intersect with others, we can bring the kingdom. Whether it's the table of communion, the table of connection with brothers and sisters in Christ, with those that are are in the world today. God, help us to be constant at these tables, to show value for these tables in our lives, to not live just for ourselves, to not live self-seeking lives, to not keep records of wrong, but God, to be willing to go first, to be willing to lay down our lives, to be inconvenienced, to give up a preference in order to be a conduit of the kingdom into the lives of the people around us. Knowing that as you flow through us, you will also supply for us. And so Holy Spirit, help us to stop trying to be filled up and to let your spirit flow through us that we may be constantly full. Teach us what that looks like in our daily lives this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at that. Some of you thought we weren't going to get done on time, but praise God, I got you here. Thanks for being here today. I know that if maybe this was your first Sunday in a while, uh, maybe you kind of were lost in some of those table things. If you go to our podcast, you go to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, you'll find those past sermons if you want to get caught up on some of the other things that I've shared about those tables. But I promise you, you're going to keep hearing these things over and over and over again because it's what we feel like God has called us to as a church. And so I want to remind you out at the table in the back, uh, baby bottles for the Plus One Guidance Center, offering baskets are there, calendars are there, connect cards are there all of the things that you might need this week. Uh, please stop by there. If you're looking for something and can't find it, please ask one of our hosts or ask uh, myself. I'll be out there in a little bit as well. And uh, God bless you as you go today. Thanks for being here.